0: hi everybody welcome to saturday night at the movies the podcast that celebrates current classic and cult films i'm steve rubin here it's always saturday night and i'm pleased to welcome our special guest tonight actor william reynolds who i get to call bill hi bill hey steve how you doing i'm great i'm great for those of you out there who want a little more background um william reynolds uh started acting in the 1950s. We're gonna talk about some of his roles. He's probably best known for being on the FBI television series for six years. And I previously interviewed uh, Bill for my book, The Twilight Zone Encyclopedia, because he starred in one of the most well-remembered episodes called The Purple Testament, where he played a US Army officer fighting in the Philippines who begins to see strange lights on his men. And I won't give any uh, spoilers there, but it's one of my favorite episodes. And Bill, you know, I, it's interesting. I, I, the name Reynolds has always kind of had a ring for me because I, I, being a student of history, uh, I remember there being a Reynolds, a very famous civil war general named Reynolds, uh, but your, your folks actually can date themselves back to the revolution, correct?
1: No, we're, we're another offshoot. We're the Norwegian Reynolds, and uh, initially spelt R-E-G-N-O-L-D-S. As a matter of fact, when I first started in the business, I still had that name, and I think it was, uh, uh, gosh, Universal when I signed it, Universal they decided to regnals <laughs> was confusing so they decided to uh, uh to drop the g and make it a y so that it, uh, they made it english as opposed to norwegian
0: so i probably <laughs> was quoting a different reynolds who has revolutionary war roots
1: oh nope. a late comer in my family uh to this continent
0: <laughs> got it got uh, it uh, so tell us, um, you were born in Los Angeles. You were uh, a teenager, or let's see, you um, yeah, you were a preteen and a teenager during World War II. Was your father in the in the service?
1: Uh, no, he he was a little older. My brothers were both my uh, you know, brother Bob and brother Jim. Uh, Bob was a paratrooper and. Uh, you know, they brought him back. He uh, was a captain, and they brought him back in the beginning of the Korean War. And uh, you know, he lost his leg, and he, he later died. So, anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, what are family, your uh,
0: what are your memories of that period of the war? Because you were too young to serve in World War Two. Do you have memories of being in L.A. at that time?
1: Uh, yeah in Pasadena and uh oh yeah, yes, it's uh, you know the 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 uh the, the, canned, the collecting the cans and the all you know the victory gardens and all the, the rest of the things I had my share of you know radishes and carrots <laughs> which never reached maturity <laughs> uh but uh yeah were uh, were
0: you were you, uh, were you interested in acting from an early age or did that come much
1: later uh, actually i was interested uh, uh early on uh i uh as a matter of fact i played the trumpet as a kid and uh and uh i went into high school and they thought i was gonna go into uh into the band and instead i i, uh, I uh, had my interest in, in, in acting and, uh, uh, movie acting, of course, you know, <laughs> and, uh, 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 Did you, did you play? For some did reason, you? I don't, it,
0: I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: No, I, it came out of, you know, I don't know what the impetus was. Um, you know, all of a sudden I, i determined I liked movies, you know, as all kids did, you know, from the, watching the serials and this, you know, we we'd go in at, the, you know, 11 o'clock and, you know, we, in those days in San Francisco, you know, we pay a dime and then they went up to 11 cents, <laughs> and, um, you know, which is, was kind of hard. As a matter of fact, strange story. My routine was to go next door. They didn't have, uh, you know, Sweet shops and things like that in the theaters. They had them adjacent to the theaters. I went and I got two all-day suckers, and uh, which brought my fifteen cents down, you know, to ten. And I went to the box office and they had raised the price to eleven cents, <laughs> and so I had to go back and so, you know, one of my all-day suckers for, you know, a penny, and I was able to get into the theater. Strange memories. (laughs) Well,
0: uh, it's funny, because my memories, a a couple decades later, uh, I would go to the old Fox West Coast Stadium, and everybody who listens to my show knows that I grew up across the street from a movie theater on Pico. And I would buy one of those all day suckers too, because you know, you didn't want to lose all your candy in the first few minutes of a double feature because then you'd be out of luck. So you and I both enjoyed those suckers.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Don't make that anymore.
0: <laughs> now you grew, uh, grew up in Pasadena, so I assume you knew about the Pasadena. Well, this was
1: in San Francisco, but uh, oh, this yes. is
0: a, oh, okay. How did you end up in San Francisco? Uh,
1: well my aunt and uncle who were my guardians <coughs> and uh uh lived in San Francisco uh, you know I, my mother died and and uh, so i was <coughs> uh raised by uh, my aunt
0: uh, oh so you know, lived in San Francisco for a while and um yeah. And did, when did you come back down to, Cal, uh, to LA?
1: Well, this is during the war. I was, uh, I was in San Francisco during the war and uh, came down to, uh, under Bedford City and went to high school and then down to uh, uh, Pasadena you know, City College. The family was from Pasadena initially, so. You know,
0: got it, was, got it. So did you, did, you, did you start performing in the Pasadena
1: Playhouse? At Pasadena City College. No, I didn't. Yeah. Uh, we used to judge, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, the, the, the reading contests and things like that at the, at the playhouse. Oh, okay. Uh, so so I, I, was yeah.
0: delight, I was delighted to remember that you're in one of my favorite World War II movies. It's a brief part, but an important part. You played the son of Rommel opposite James Mason in the Desert Fox, which was released in 1951. Um, I know that you were a little bit intimidated by director Henry Hathaway, as you told me. Um, tell me. Everybody tell me. was
1: intimidated by Henry Hathaway. <laughs> yes, no. No, James Mason, yes, he was. Uh, I played sons, you know, my first picture, I played Lawrence Olivier's son in uh, *Cary* at Paramount. Right. And then.
0: uh, Was that a little intimidating being opposite Olivier? uh,
1: Yes, you know, uh, we didn't converse. (laughs) You know, I watched everything he did, and, uh, you know, it was kind of a master's course. But, you know, my technique was, you know, I went out there and, you know, (laughs) Led. <laughs> you stand there and you, but he did, he was the most meticulous and uh, we were in rehearsal and uh, he did, you know, something, he leaned up against the uh, uh, fireplace in a particular way and he stopped and he went over to the script supervisor and said, you know, make a note that he wanted to do this. At this other part in the script, and I, you know, I watched with wonder. And <laughs> "What kind of acting is this?" He, you know, he was—he had a gesture. I mean, he was saving a gesture. You talk about some—you know—somebody uh, who was a empresario. I mean, he had his control of, of his uh, total performance when you know he hadn't done anything, and. Uh,
0: Well, your Um, your director on that movie was William Wyler, of course, the legendary William Wyler who did The Best Years of Our Lives and Detective Story and Ben-Hur. I know that Wyler uh, operated a camera crew on B-17s in Europe during the war and had lost most of his hearing. Do you remember Wyler having a hearing problem when you were working with him?
1: uh, Not particularly. Uh, we didn't converse much. <laughs> While very strange, we had a at uh, Paramount. They had what they called this uh, had a golden circle, but they and they had a a uh, a one way mirror on a on a little uh, small st- sound stage, you know. With uh, we called it the snake pit, and they had some <laughs> you couldn't see out. Uh, And people in this, you know, there are half a dozen seats, you know, and you never knew who was in there, and they would watch, uh, you know, the kids uh, uh, rehearsing, and, you know, everybody, the contract list, it probably had uh, 18, 20 people maybe under contract uh, from, you know, the big big names, and uh, all the way down to us kids, and there were probably eight, ten of us in this, what they call the golden circle. So you, uh, I,
0: I would assume those were up and coming stars at Paramount, I would think.
1: Yes. Yeah. You know, the, 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 everybody was under contract and you're all in one degree of, you know, uh, I mean, Jimmy Stewart. and uh, Technically, you know, under contract. And,
0: now, at this time, Will, yeah, the Golden Circle. At this time, when you were starting your career as a movie actor, did you, uh, and I know you were, a, you had married early, so you were a married man, so. Uh, no, I got you,
1: married while I was at at, uh, at Paramount.
0: At, at Paramount. So, um, yes, did my, you? My did wife you,
1: came and yeah. auditioned. Uh, she was, uh, had won a, a beauty contest. She was from Hollywood High, and she was Miss Los Angeles. And, uh, you know, a couple of weeks later, we uh, eloped. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. <laughs> rather impetuous
0: and um, yet the marriage lasted over 40 years and i give you credit for picking the right girl now during this period did you have friends like who i would assume that many of your friends in the business were actors would or did you just come home and hang out at home or did you have buddies in the business that you spend some time with
1: Uh, most of the contract players, you know, um, was Paramount. Later at uh, at Universal, it was much more uh, uh, collegial. You know, there were it was a bigger contract list, and you know, the, we were you know, twelve, fifteen, eighteen kids, you know, in various uh, degrees of, of capability, and. Uh,
0: do you remember any of the names that stick out from the Universal days that were pals of yours? Uh,
1: well, uh, uh, name name somebody.
0: Uh. Well, let me let me <laughs> ju- let me jump in right away because I, I have a particularly interest in the fact that you were in at least two Audie Murphy movies. You worked on *Cimarron* and *Gunsmoke*. *Cimarron Kid* and *Gunsmoke*. What are your memories of Audie Murphy?
1: Very nice man, <clears throat> didn't speak much, and there was an underlying, you know, as baby faced as he was, uh, there was an underlying current that was rather ominous, uh, which is, you know, but I guess uh, it was well deserved, and uh, he always had a gun with him. <laughs> I mean, th- the guns that you see that, that most people wear, in, but his were real. I mean, he had real, uh, they were real weapons. And uh...
0: Well, we know now that um, Audie, that fresh-faced, baby-faced kid that was on the cover of Life magazine as the most decorated soldier of World War II, suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder which of course wasn't called that in those days it was called just called uh shell shock or you know uh, psychological problems but uh there i mean it's interesting to to have you say that there was an ominous quality about him because there was a darkness beneath that veneer
1: yeah <clears throat> and uh you know he, outgoing he was very you know, friendly and you know affable and, uh, but. Uh, there were a couple of moments, you know, that, that, uh, got your attention. You know, he, he talked about lacking most of the people who were, uh, you know, the producers and the, you know, the, the, the management, the UI and, uh, uh, but, uh, he didn't get along with, uh, some of them. And, uh, I remember going to, to, to lunch one time in the, in the cafeteria and, uh, there were a table with executives, you know, a couple of tables over, and Audie was talking and loud enough for them to hear that, uh, you know, that he was unhappy about something. And, uh, you know, there were a couple of people that, uh, and it was a little scary. I mean, he he was as nice a man as he was, and he was a nice man, uh, at least to us. Uh, wouldn't... uh, uh he was a pretty heavy dude, <laughs> as we used to say.
0: Now, about the same time you worked with Tony Curtis on um, yeah. The Son of Alibaba. Baba. Uh, tell, tell us a little bit. What do you remember about Tony Curtis? One of my favorite actors of the 50s and 60s. Uh, obviously, this was early in his career. What did you remember about him?
1: Tony was. Uh, was. A very good actor. I mean, but he was what you saw. I mean, he was you know straightforward, and he was a kid from Bronx, and he really was, and and he didn't, he never tried to, you know, it it became more gentrified his speech, uh, you know, (laughs) uh, but uh, he was always uh, you know very straightforward and a very good actor. I was you know I'm very good actor in the sense that he inv- he involved himself in the character on, on a on a very personal level and uh, uh it came across uh, you know it, his bronx uh, you know was there and it was modified a little bit later but uh i remember early on that uh, it was pretty heavy <laughs>
0: uh, well, they all always have that cliche that he—I don't think he actually spoke the line, but they said that in one of his performances, he would say it was a, a you know a, a medieval story. It says yonder lies the uh, the castle of my father. and I—I've <laughs> tried to figure as, out as a that matter as of fact.
1: As <laughs> a matter of fact, I was sitting on a horse next to him, and that'd uh, be. with uh, piper lori
0: and uh oh sure of course
1: uh, there were four of us piper
0: lori uh, oh from the cast of uh son of alibaba yeah um uh, well let's let's look up and my see. girlfriend I've <laughs> uh, um, i'm gonna i'll tell okay, you not, it. Not, i'll not. tell you in a second because um I have Ben
1: uh, That was. Uh,
0: uh, Let's see. Let's uh, see if we can. And Ben can cut some of this out so we don't have to have hums and haws when we do this. But the cast of um, you're talking about Susan Cabot.
1: There we go. Yeah. So the yeah, four of
0: you are on horses. Go ahead.
1: Well, we're we were sitting on the top of the hill, and uh, and uh, that's when the that line you know launder yonder lies the castle of me father of me father. <laughs> uh, that uh the,
0: so that's from that movie scary. i have to watch it again yeah. to see that that's funny um now yeah, the other was, day uh,
1: you, yeah viper and susan and, and uh
0: yeah the other day i was um I was uh, caught another movie on Turner Classic Movies called uh, "Cult of the Cobra," which um, uh, got some interesting reviews. I, I think it was considered a, a, a B movie, but nicely made. Uh, uh, Faith Do, is it pronounced Demurg? Uh I always wondered. Domerg,
1: yes.
0: Yeah, Faith, yeah, Faith Domerg played played the uh, the woman who changes into a snake. Uh, what and then your buddies on that movie? I bet they were fellow contract players: Marshall Thompson, Jack Kelly. Um, let's Long. see, uh, uh, the gentleman uh, who's I was also on the Twilight Zone. I'm forgetting his name. Who was on Bourbon Street Beat? Um, um,
1: oh yeah,
0: you know uh, uh, Richard Long. Oh
1: well, Dick Long, yeah, but no, you're. Um... Oh. Good actor. Anyway, well, Dick Long was uh, best actor there. Was oh, for The Fugitive. My God.
0: Uh, oh, that's right. David Jansen was with you as well.
1: David Jansen. David actually was the best in the cast. I think he was the most uh, effective uh, for for whatever reason. Uh,
0: I always thought that of that cast that he was probably the best. I thought it it was a good movie and well worth watching. Um, Another movie that you did, uh, which was another war movie, uh, you worked with Jeff Chandler, uh, Away All Boats, uh, which I thought was a pretty good film for the period of the 1950s about the Navy. Um, Did you find that to be an interesting experience?
1: uh yeah it was i i think <clears throat> i think it could have been a much better it could have been a much better picture than it was we uh, had a lot of bad happenstance and stuff uh, you know joe Pevney was probably more suited to uh you know new york uh depression <laughs> era dramas than he was uh you know this extravaganza with uh,
0: For for those of you listening who have never heard of Away All Boats, uh, it's about a, uh, you know, a lot of Navy movies deal with warships. And um, this movie was about what they call an attack transport, which was a basically a freighter carrying war supplies and troops. And it's uh, commanded by Jeff Chandler. And Bill is one of his officers and... um, I thought it had some nice uh, production value. We don't see a lot of movies about the Navy generally because they're so expensive to shoot on the water and everything. But I thought that one turned out pretty well.
1: Yeah, uh, and it was expensive for Universal at those days. It was, a, you know, a little departure. Um, and,
0: uh, now, one of the, one of the uh, articles about you, Bill, says that after a while you kind of got tired of a lot of the roles you were doing in movies And you started to think that maybe TV would be a better fit for you. Is that true?
1: Uh, Yes, Uh, but I don't know how much of it was uh, a matter of choice. Uh, An old juvenile that didn't have a lot of uh, opportunities in in movies, unless they're uh, a more substantial name than I was, Uh, you know, Tony. Curtis got away with it and stuff, but uh, most of us, Jeff uh, you know, Hunter, you know, we were uh, not large enough or not big enough in order to command uh, uh, goals and movies, and so uh, TV was a opportunity. And most of us, uh, it was fortunate for most of us because. Uh, <clears throat> A leading man, or a young leading man, or however we were characterized, uh, was somewhat limited. <laughs> you know, they only had one or two of them. <laughs> and uh, not being a character actor, a character actor uh, had more possibility of working in, no matter what, but uh, uh, TV came along at the right time so that we were given an opportunity to play fairly important parts and in, interesting. Uh,
0: now, one of the people you met at this time, apparently, who helped propel your television career was Jack Webb. Can you talk a little bit about Mr. Webb?
1: Yeah, he he was uh, a martinet, <laughs> uh, but, but he uh, he was the most singular person I, in terms of of his directing techniques and uh which you know followed him pr- pretty much his uh, uh, his career as an actor he was a uh, pedantic is not the word but uh, uh you know he planted his feet and he was he took the territory <laughs> uh he was probably the most knowledgeable and uh of the uh, in terms of TV, you know, he did things fast, and he did things th- that were ambitious, and he did good, quick, and, uh, and that's uh, well that those
0: are, with me. Those were the those of the listeners who are listening to this. Jack Webb, of course, is forever associated with a seminal television series called Dragnet which kind of set the tone and bar for cop uh, dramas for the next 40 years and probably still today. Um, and yet he was producing other shows. Was he, was he one of the producers of the Islanders bill? Was that, was he involved in that?
1: No, that was uh, uh, Metro and that, that was uh, Dick bear that uh, created the Islanders. Unfortunately, Dick, uh, I don't know if, uh, You know the story, we had the plane crash. Dick and I were doing uh, doing backgrounds and things like that for for stock footage and things like that to cut in later. And so we spent some time down in the the Virgin Islands and uh, flew around. And our our story, the central figure was this... uh, this boat this floating i mean the aircraft the uh, the seaplane so uh we did background shots from you know from the uh, from the goose and uh, we were coming back to uh, jamaica and the engine's quit and uh so we hit the water and the plane broke up and you know uh,
0: did both did of you guys good. did both of you guys survive that, or did we lose him?
1: No, we we, we both survived. He was he had two broken legs, <laughs> and I only had one, and uh, so he was kind of one of the reasons why he didn't produce the show when we got, went on the air. The Islanders is uh, that he was still infirm and uh, he wasn't able to, to, uh, to function uh, on a day to day basis. So Jaime Del Valle and
0: did the, did, the, did the plane sink right away or did it stay up so that you could float and hold on to it
1: no no it uh it, well it's it sank it, it broke up in pieces and you know the wings would go and stuff and and we we had a, a flotilla a little floating pontoon that uh we had for a while but we had to abandon that in order to swim to shore and so we left uh the uh co-pilot uh uh was uh, was there when we left him you know by the by the plane and we swam or attempted to swim uh to shore and uh he later uh I, I guess uh, we didn't know but uh, he had uh his legs uh, cut arteries in uh, his leg and he he did uh, pass away so oh, that, was
0: but, uh, we, that was the co-pilot
1: that oh, was the co-pilot
0: okay how long and, uh, did you? How long did it take for you to swim to shore?
1: Well, we never made it. We swam for, but you know, we were doing pretty well, and we were making. You know, we were about, I guess, we were like three, two, three miles away. Oh wow! Uh, and uh, and so he had he had this these uh, seats that you know that floated, and he was trying to sit on those, and he had both. Both both of his legs, uh, ankles were broken, and so he was trying to motivate, uh, uh, you know, uh, along by, you know, on his back, you know. And I only had I had one leg, and so anyway, we were trying to get to shore, and I guess we we'd done pretty well. And uh, but a, a couple of fishermen came out, and, and uh, I guess they'd seen us go down. Uh, oh, wow. They came out actually in order to get whatever they could from the crash, <laughs> but uh, <coughs> we made them take us ashore. So,
0: was that on Jamaica anyway, or a Virgin?
1: That was no, that was Jamaica off. Uh,
0: that was off of Auto Jamaica. Bay. Interesting. Yeah,
1: about, uh, Which bay? Bay. An Auto Bay. I. Uh, that's when we came ashore. Oh. So I guess that we were must have been off uh, an Bay wherever that is (laughs) i'm not uh,
0: so about that same time you uh were brought into the twilight zone and i know the fans want to hear what you remember about playing lieutenant fitzgerald uh uh, on in the purple testament Uh, i i I remember interviewing you you told me that you had a very favorable memory about rod serling
1: yeah i mean he smoked a lot (laughs) but he was a, a he was a as nice and it, as interesting, he had been a paratrooper, <clears throat> and uh, he was on the set a lot, and he was really, really into it, into our characters and things like that. Uh, uh, yeah, he was a very <clears throat> interesting guy. My brother uh, was a paratrooper. <clears throat>
0: was he and a paratrooper so, uh, in the Philippines, like Serling?
1: No, he was a 82nd Airborne, 101st. Uh,
0: oh, so he in was in Europe. Yeah. Oh wow. Uh, was he was he at the? Uh, well, let's see. What what you you said he was eighty second or one or first or both?
1: Uh, he was uh, both actually. He was a uh, uh, he, at the time I think he was the first lieutenant and uh, <clears throat> so they called him back in. Uh,
0: yeah, you said to Korea, um, but in Europe he. Um,
1: was he? Was he? Was he? Uh, back in, in Korea.
0: Was he in the siege of Bastogne with the 101? Because that's they always talk about the 101st Airborne's uh, encirclement at Bastogne.
1: Well, I know he was in Sicily and Italy, and uh, North Africa initially, and then uh, he went to, into Sicily and Italy. I don't, I, I don't know. <coughs> excuse me. I don't know whether that. <laughs> it was 101
0: 101st with the 82nd got it got um, it now the I think, it was we, 101st. I, I think i mentioned to you uh that i've been binge watching old episodes of the fbi uh which i'm enjoying immensely for a number of reasons i used to uh, on sunday nights my dad and i would watch the fbi religiously And then, of course, seeing all the wonderful actors in the show, uh, just they had a great number of actors. Now, they started with Steven Brooks, I see, as the assistant to uh, Ephraim Zimbalist Jr.'s Inspector Erskine. How did you get that role? How did you suddenly become a a performer on the FBI? Do you remember that?
1: Well, I, excuse me, Uh, Steve was, you know, pretty young. And, uh, you know, they had initially, He had a you know kind of a a love affair, and they you know they and so when they changed the 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 theme uh, and made it you know pretty much a straight uh, crime show uh, as opposed to you know I did the initial pilot, I guess FBI Code Ninety Eight, which was the, the Warner Brothers pilot. FBI, and then they, and then apparently they gave the, the uh, uh, ABC gave the show to uh, Quinn Martin to produce, and and uh, but uh, I, I in the pilot the FBI code 98, uh, you know I I played uh, uh, Agent Fox, I guess his name was that, uh, you know the, the kind of the romantic interest I and the I was the juvenile in that.
0: Did you have uh, Martin produce the whole series? What are your memories of Quinn Martin? Because he's somewhat of a legend in television because of all of his various television series, including the Fugitive, which you mentioned. Uh, uh, what do you remember about Quinn Martin?
1: He was an, He was a great manager. He was a great. Uh... on uh, producer relationship at least not with me and and not on the set or anything like that he was uh, he had a number of projects and he was he kind of oversaw them and uh, he was kind of a, a chief writer for everyone you know I mean he set up the, the writing staff so he did the organization that <coughs> of the shows that <coughs> excuse me uh, and uh, he wasn't the most personable person from my, my perspective, but uh, he was a. Uh,
0: well, you spent so he, uh, you spent seven years or six years with Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. You must have something to say about Ephraim. Uh, I, I in watching the old series, it's kind of fun to see him because he seems so polished and professional and a basic good guy, the great, you know, the great front man for the FBI. Did you have a good working relationship with him?
1: Yeah, we were best friends. You know, i I was best man at, when he, um, we mar- he married his, you know, second wife in Hawaii. And uh, uh, yes, we were very close. And uh, uh, we were together so much, you know, uh, my wife Molly, uh, uh you know was you know, not jealous i mean but she was you know it was always you know <clears throat> we had more time together than i had with her so at least for those weeks that we were in production it was
0: what was he uh, what was he like off camera i mean uh he seems like he'd be a pretty personable person
1: One of the smartest people you know I ever ever met and and the most urbane and the most uh legitimately cultured people he had the most uh the most sophisticated person that
0: uh, I guess he comes from a family of very sophisticated people wasn't his father of uh I want to say
1: concert. he was the concertmaster to yeah Philadelphia yeah
0: Right, right, so, exactly, exactly. Uh, now, I, I, in just revisiting this series, uh, which uh, as I've t- said, is uh, just an, a wonderful experience for me to, to see these actors. Uh, the FBI, uh, I, I read a couple of articles early on that they, they were a little concerned about some of the storylines. Did you get the impression that you were being scrutinized by the FBI a lot or did they leave you pretty much alone?
1: Oh, no, we were more than scrutinized. <clears throat> no, I uh, before I before we started uh, production for my first season, uh, I went back and I talked to you know Mr. Hoover and uh, I, I visited and you know uh, the assistant director Dick Deloche, was you know a, uh, a friend of both Ephraim's and, and mine and and. Uh, had uh, you know social moments uh when he you know when he came back from uh came out from washington and uh you know so, yeah we were and we had a a uh, an agent on the set all the time and I was as privy to most things <laughs> uh, people you know all the all the agents you know they had class rings for some reason I noticed that and so I wore a class ring. I, it wasn't anything of any great moment to the you know to the viewer, but uh, it it added to my sense of authenticity and it, which was really uh, I think the bellwether of and the most important factor in that in the show at least the success of the show is that we were both Ephraim and myself were were uh, uh, involved in the mystique of the of the bureau itself and uh, were friends and and uh, uh, had agents you know on the set all the time, and were friends with, uh, mm. as I say, Dick Deloche and um, pictures of me and Mr. Hoover. you know it was we were well, uh, no,
0: I have to say that over, and I, I don't want to get political here because this is not the purpose of this conversation, but I have to say, that the respect for law enforcement back in the 1960s, particularly the FBI and its mission was a lot better than it is today because, uh, you know, I think that uh, the people who work in the FBI are, are pretty special folk and I think that lately uh, particularly the previous president, the way he treated uh, the FBI was kind of embarrassing. And I, I felt that in the 1960s, that would have never happened.
1: No, as a matter of fact, uh, our relationship with the FBI was essential to ex- its success. I mean, uh, I think the audience really was uh, and had a right to be uh Thinking that our activities were were either sanctioned and or, you know, were intrinsic to the success of the show. Uh, uh, You know, Zimmy was uh, the quintessential, you know, inspector. Uh, I was, as his aide, uh, Special Agent. uh, Colby. yeah i but i mean as a, in terms of the job uh, uh he was a major case inspector in reality uh, that would have been his place and i would have been his uh, assistant <clears throat> ordinarily uh, agents <clears throat> are assigned on a regular basis to uh SACs and people who run departments in the various cities, uh, but uh, he was a major case inspector, which is a specific thing, and uh, and uh, and I was his uh, <clears throat> and I was his assistant, and uh, you know with the special agent, the uh, rank of a you know special agent, but with an asterisk <laughs> an extra special agent
0: <laughs> well, it's a, it's it's a fascinating show to get caught up on um there's a couple other projects that i want to mention before we conclude because uh, i think the fans might want to know more about them uh, i should maybe they're just special because i remember them i I I worked on a film, I I was a feature unit publicist for 30 years. So I worked on a number of films and I was working in Tucson, Arizona in 1984 when I, um, it was a movie called Desert Bloom and the uh, star of it was a young actress named Annabeth Gish. It's a John Voight movie about a family living near uh, in Las Vegas during the first nuclear testings in the 50s. They were shooting it in Tucson, and uh, the father of Annabeth Gish had uh, written a biography of a writer named Paul Horgan. And the reason I knew Paul Horgan, because when I was a, a teenager in high school, I read a book called A Distant Trumpet. And I noticed that you actually got a a good role in that western uh, just before you started your run with FBI. Do you you have memories of that show?
1: Sure do. Uh, Yeah, it was uh, trying to be uh, recall the specifics of the part, but it was.
0: I think you're the. I think you're the commander at the uh, fort. I think you play. Um, let me see if I get yeah. this straight. You play um, a L- first lieutenant Teddy Mainwaring, and you're married uh, to Kitty, who was played by that wonderful dark-haired girl Suzanne Pluchet. Suzanne
1: Plachette. yes, who was marvelous. What a, what a great actress. Uh, yeah, I, I, I was kind of the semi-heavy. Uh, I I was uh, you know autocratic I remember the, the, you know the scene shaving and and uh, uh and uh what was the the, 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 what was the lead
0: um the lead was Troy Donahue
1: Yeah and Troy was oh uh, gosh how can I do this uh, generally Troy was uh <coughs> Wanted to do a, a very macho Western character, and he—I remember—he wanted to open a bottle with his teeth <laughs> or, uh, to take out the cork, you know, with, you know, with his teeth, and uh, you know, that was, he thought that was kind of uh, uh, macho, and and uh, uh, he was a uh, Suzanne was so. They were kind of an odd couple you know uh suzanne was had this great sense of humor and she was brilliant she was this, you know this and uh, very uh new yorkish uh uh and the, the, they were really an odd couple and and she she would kid him immersively <laughs> with her you know and she had a this sense of human that was really, you know, uh, delightful.
0: Um, well, personally, uh, I think, you know, the movie has some positives. I think with all due respect to Troy, I think he was miscast. I think you needed somebody with a little bit more of a ruggedness to him. Um, uh, I think... Uh, you no, know, he
1: tried, though. He wanted to be. And that's what, yeah. he, you know, when he tried to take off, you know, he wanted to take the pork out of the bottle with his teeth you know asked the director you know <laughs> <laughs> you know they thought that was kind of a you know a macho move and stuff but you
0: know Troy was Troy. he was very effective at, well, he know, was certainly you know. at that to give him credit at that period in his career he was very much a romantic figure and was certainly in a lot yes. of romantic stories. I remember him with Sandra D in a summer place and a lot of films like that. Uh, so after the FBI went off the air, you kind of uh, decided that you go back to uh, civilian life in a way and just decided to turn your back on Hollywood. And it doesn't seem like you're that unhappy that you did.
1: No, I was kind of, you know, older juveniles, you know, some, somewhat limited, uh, you know, limited as to, you know, what they can do and what, what opportunities there are. Uh, I, I wasn't, uh, you know, a character uh, actor in the sense that, uh, you know, I had a lot of, of uh, you know, flexibility or I, I wasn't really competitive uh, for a lot of parts that, uh, you know, they had, there was always a leading person in every uh, enterprise and every movie and TV show and stuff like that. And there were character actors and, and I was more, you know, if I wasn't the lead, I, uh, you know, there wasn't really a part for me. So uh, uh, I was somewhat limited as to what I could do, and uh, and uh, leading characters, uh, uh, I guess, were more significant than I was. So in terms of, of box office and stuff, so being a uh, you know lightweight uh, uh juvenile type uh, character uh, in terms of uh, not that I was I'm I'm talking about uh, in terms of tailabilities things that would fit into into projects
0: um, sure no well, I, com- I can I a- I completely understand and you do I, I as if I'm not mistaken you went into real estate
1: uh yeah I, you know, I got a real estate license, and uh, you know, I had to do something with my time, and uh, and uh, also to make a living. So uh, yeah, I got, got a uh, real estate license, and uh, and sold houses and stuff for a period of time. Um, uh, you know, it was it was a living, and uh, you know, it was it was an enjoyable you know activity. Uh, in terms of you know people meeting people and
0: you know. Well I'm, I it's funny because the charisma that you brought to the screen bill, I, I'm sure that helped you in your real estate career because you always came off as a very charming person and I'm not surprised that you did well at it. Uh, and by the way, I think that, uh, Uh, A lot of the roles you had, I think you always were very good in what you did. I know there were some of them were more limited in terms of exposure, but I think your work on the FBI particularly was always very strong. And I just love talking to you about the old movies because it's it's kind of uh, it's like having history right there in front of you. You were present with these people who aren't with us anymore. I mean, Tony Curtis, Audie Murphy, Jeff Chandler. Oh, but I didn't ask you about Jeff Chandler, any memories of Jeff? Because I always thought he was a, a, a really fine actor and, and we lost him much too early.
1: Yeah, that was tr- very tragic. Yeah, uh, Meyer Michigan was uh, our agent. Uh, and uh, when he came out, uh, uh, fr- out from New York, uh, Jeff was his f- first client and I think I was his second. And maybe Milburn Stone was there, and uh, but uh, uh, he was a very singular character. He, uh, you know, he, he was a Jeff was a big a big guy, and uh, you know the the, the coaches.
0: Uh, oh yeah, that and, made him. Uh, first that, ago, um... With, yeah, opposite. You know, I, I
1: remember sitting in the steam room with him, you know, and and he uh you know, he was itching because his his hair was growing out from from having being shaved after playing coaches and uh he I was very uncomfortable.
0: Wear, had to wear that long uh, wig. You no, know, I, I remember that that movie of course was broken arrow for those of you who haven't seen it. And if you want to see a nifty western, tune in to uh uh, that film that was a, a film produced by Julian Blaustein, who uh, pr- later produced The Day the Earth Stood Still at Fox. And next week on our show, we're going to have Billy Gray, who played the little boy in The Day the Earth Stood Still. So there's a little tie in there. Uh, Bill, this has been terrific. Thank you for taking the time to uh, share a lot of your history and your remembrances. Um I know the fans will be happy to hear that you're alive and well and and hanging in there. And um, uh, I really appreciate you coming on the show with me today.
1: Thank you so much, Stephen. Uh, yeah. And old, by the way. And I, you know, I'm 90, so I hope that excuses some of the <laughs> inanities that uh, in any oh, event uh,
0: Well, your recall is pretty darn good, and uh, I I appreciate you coming on. And uh, I want to remind the uh, listeners: this is Saturday night at the movies. We've been talking to William Reynolds um, about his career in television and film. Uh, You're listening to the Lock 22 Network. Today's program was produced by Bill Shrewsbury, uh, who's a fine producer. And we Uh, did. What did I say? I said, Ben. I meant, <laughs> sorry, Ben. Uh, t- let me repeat that so you can edit it out. Um, tonight's show was produced by Ben Shrewsbury, who's a fine producer and uh, keeps us keeps us going here. And tune in next week to Saturday Night at the Movies. Everybody, stay safe out there.